Welcome to the Power Players by Orgis, featuring solar and energy storage leaders and their critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise. My name is Cynthia Katib. I welcome you to this episode hosted by Michael Iman, Managing Director of Orgis Services. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Power Players. Today we have Benoit Alihat. Is a, who is a managing director at the KKR infrastructure team in New York. He joined KKR actually just in February after eight and a half years at Capital Dynamics, where he co-led investments in renewable energy and energy storage uh, projects. And we all saw the growth there. Uh, Benoit has worked in the power industry for really 20 years or more with roles going from project development, regulatory affairs, financing for companies such as EDF, Enron, GE, First Solar, and even BlackRock. Benoit was tasked specifically at KKR to focus on the broader energy transition theme and really look broadly at, at new investments and new opportunities. And, and, you know, they have, KKR has been investing, as we know, in infrastructure for more than 10 years. You know, Benoit, you're, you're originally from Paris, so, uh, uh, you know, bienvenue uh, and uh, welcome to Power Players. Thank you, Mike, and thank you to Orgis uh, for organizing this. Absolutely. So we'll we'll just jump right into questions. If, if you don't mind, I know you're a busy guy. So. Look, today we're supposed to be talking about how we're financing the future of renewables. It's a complex topic, right? We have all these new things coming about. So let's start big and, and work to some details. How about how about so talk to me a little bit about how you and your team and KKR are approaching deploying capital in really a, a quickly changing environment in renewables today? As you pointed out, KKR has been investing for 10 years uh, and has followed the industry. Uh, there were notorious investments such as SunTap uh, Solar uh, in the U.S. Uh, Excelio uh, is, is a growing platform. Um, the investment with Actiona, um, very big transaction with NextEra. So, so the team has tremendous um, experience. At the same time, the reality is that the uh, sector is growing. Uh, in the broader infrastructure world, renewables is, is a very, very large part of capital deployment. So when you have an infrastructure platform, uh, it's important to have the whole suite uh, of investment opportunities. And it goes from telecoms to um, public-private partnerships, uh, you know, uh, parking lots, waste management, but renewable specifically is an important component. Uh, and, and KKR is not alone. Uh, you have more and more institutional investors, uh, you know, deploying capital uh, in the sector at different segments. You know, it can be development, it can be acquiring operating projects. Uh, so it really depends on the risk profile and the appetite. Got it. Well, why don't we break it down a little bit to sort of focus in on a couple of areas? You know, uh, on power players here, we focus on the renewable sector, but, you know, we all sort of start from solar because that's you, you kind of start where you are. Right. So let's talk a little bit about how solar finance is changing, you know, as there's still going to be 20 year, 15, 20 year bus bar PPAs, but that's not the entire market anymore. You now have shorter PPA terms you know, with long merchant tails or merchant only, uh, you know, solar facilities, that's 
that's becoming more and more possible with the with the you know creation of battery storage plus solar. Uh, there's hedges, you know, all these different sort of project types and PPA types, you know, and I'll just go through like hedges again, you know, long uh, commercial tail or commercial only merchant facilities. Uh, and then, you know, other types of sort of alternate structures. How do you deal with, how are you going to deal with those? Right. Cause the traditional financing wasn't really set up to do that. So, so where is it going and how does, how do you skate to where the puck is going? So I, I, I think the question is great. And the term PPA is often used in a very generic term when in fact there are all kinds of contractual arrangements. And even in a virtual, even in a standard bus bar PPA, um, do you take curtailment risk? You don't take curtailment risk. There, there's all kinds of, of items. So, the good news is that as the solar industry is maturing and follows on the footsteps of high growth in wind and even before that thermal, people are experienced with, you know, various offtakes. If you take thermal, heat rare call options is, is bread and butter um, of, of, of that sector. So, but what we're seeing is more and more specialized expertise uh, in bringing um, investors who understand the asset class. And it's not just the type of PPAs, but it's the market dynamics in which a PPA sit. So MISO is different from SPP, which is different from ERCOT and KISO and the likes. So you have to have an understanding, not just of the offtake, but what are the fundamentals in each market so that you can make the right decision. After that, you know, if a project has really good fundamentals, it will find investors uh, to, to back it up. Uh, but, you know, at the end of the day, for a lot of investors that are representing institutional capital, uh, i.e. pension pension plans, insurance uh, um, capital, you have to invest in contracted cash flows. Uh, that's really critical. You know, you, you're not expected to be a merchant investor. Uh, you're supposed to, to really protect uh, the capital, the downside um, of, 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 of your investors. So there are more and more uh, sophisticated uh, structures, um, but it really always come back to that fundamental question, which is what is the cash flow that I know and what's the cash flow that I don't know oh, that is variable? Got it. You, you, you use the term fundamentals twice in two different contexts. So let's go back to the first one. You said if the fundamentals are good, there's financing, but doesn't, doesn't that, first of all, you know, to an operations guy, my first question is, what does that mean? Uh, and, and, but second of all, doesn't it mean different things for different types of projects with different types, types of risk, risk exposures? So, so tell me a little bit, like put a framework around that term fundamentals for me. Well, the way I see it is that projects are coming to the market fast and furious, and you have to have an investor translate a power purchase agreement or, or an offtake into what is it going to do over the very long, ter long, long term. So that's looking at every single assumption uh, of a project, energy assessment 
is not a single number. Uh, it's a very, very complex phase of a project. Property tax, O&M, curtailment, you know, merchant forecast. So when a project gets delivered to somebody who will be the asset manager, what I refer to fundamentals is, is really understanding, you know, things that you could control. Uh, where you did the work in reducing the uncertainty or at least understanding the level of uncertainty and those where you understand that you don't have a ton of control and there's, you know, a range of outcome that is greater than, uh, than, than, than you can control. So that's the reason why I come back to if you do your job correctly and you at least have that visibility of knowing that you can protect your principal investment, that's already a big step. Uh, but there's a lot of projects that are coming very quickly to the market. If people don't do the work and the hard work in understanding all of the assumptions, uh, it can lead to you know a very different outcome from what's in a spreadsheet. Do Does that inherently with these more complicated and higher variable sort of sites and products, does that inherently require other strategies like hedging strategies and things like that to do together? Or are, are there ways that the finance industry is sort of coming at those that don't require those that sort of risk, those sort of risk mitigation strategies? I, I think it, it all depends. Um, but what I'm seeing is that projects that have a lot of complexity are not pricing that much higher than projects that have low complexity. So you need to always focus on, A, return on human capital. You know, how much time can you dedicate to an underwriting? And number two, you know, what's the equivalent risk return when you compare, you know, various opportunities? So a project that will require, you know, a lot of hedging and, and structuring around if it's to make 50 basis points more than a very, very plain vanilla, simple uh, asset, you know, you will take the plain vanilla any day. Hmm. What, what we are seeing, though, you know, and it's been going on now for a few years, is assets that are pooled together. Um, and it's a little bit like you're opening a chocolate box and there's three chocolates that you like and one that you don't like. Uh, and And, you know. The reality is that you have to like all the chocolates. You can't just ignore the one that you don't like. I'm always happy for a Forrest Gump reference, even <laughs> even only slightly. So that's perfect. Thank you for that one. Made me smile. So how does how does when you take storage and you combine it with solar, right? Suddenly it's it, suddenly you have dispatchable power, which completely changes the, the risk profile as well as the operational you know sort of profile. But you also open up opportunities for ancillary services like, you know, frequency and voltage regulation, reactive power, you know, uh, and, and some and some others. And so talk to me a little bit about that, because that's coming. Like, I mean, it's there's a lot of it has, it has, here. Yeah. It's here. But I mean, the, the like real volume of that, I think the industry is going to start seeing that really this year and then moving forward. Right. As projects that have been two or three years in the making are finally coming to market. So talk to me a little bit about how the finance industry and you guys are looking at those. I, I think I 
I read somewhere that 75% of PPAs that are bid in the West um, are hybrid projects. Yeah. So if you don't understand storage, uh, you have a problem. You know, we started focusing on it several years ago uh, to really understand uh, the technology. And it's clearly much more complex uh, than solar. Um, I, I like to think about the solar industry as arriving after wind and, and wind being extremely technically complicated uh, because it's a 747 on a toothpick. Uh, and then suddenly you have solar and it, it doesn't move uh, apart from trackers. So people got in a law of uh, everything is really boring and simple. And now storage arrives and it's, it's a far, it's a chemical process and it sits alongside storage, uh, alongside solar. And it's, and it's complex and there's different chemistry. So to answer your question, yeah, when you do storage to simply do load shifting, uh, that's a, a more easy yeah. application to understand. All of this being said, you know, uh, when I was at Capital Dynamics, we wrote uh, all of the technical documentation from scratch to make sure that um, it would be bankable, that we understood uh, the technological parameters, the performance obligations, et cetera. And I think that it's still at a stage where there's a lack of off-the-shelf standardized documentation around performance of energy storage, and you have to bring that expertise to make sure that, that you integrate properly. If you look at storage with more complex applications, uh, and you've mentioned ancillary services, so this is more of a case of, of a battery signing a, a resource adequacy only contract um, and selling ancillary services and doing energy arbitrage. The analysis to understand the revenue streams is incredibly complex. Uh, and that really, and, and the number of consultants that are available who really understand the fundamentals are very, very few and far between. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and you know, we get the question all the time on the operations side, like how much experience do you have with storage? And my, my typical answer is same as everybody else, almost none, right? Mm -hmm. Because it takes, we have, we have small storage projects that are out there in the market today, but these more complex structures, these more complex agreements, these larger, uh, more mature, you know, storage assets are, are relatively new, right? These people started, planning those two, three years out, and it takes two, three years for them to flush through and get to operations such that we can start to really build that experience. And so we're all sort of hitting that at the same time this year and going forward. So, but it, but it does occur to me that when you've got these different requirements, reactive power, uh, you know, uh, being a great example, you have to hold back a certain amount of power to be able to provide that reactive power. You know, so that means inherently that you're you're taking some some power at one rate, storing it and deploying it at another, and you're losing the opportunity at that first rate in hopes that you're going to execute against that second, which is not guaranteed to occur. <laughs> mm -hmm. So how do you you know that's a very and that's just one ancillary service. So and on those others you have similar different but similar trade-offs. So how do you deal with that from a financing perspective? Well, that's the example you, you give is a great one. You know, 
I think that it always worries me when people are on the finance side and have never seen operations. They've never touched and feel technology. You know, one of my greatest memories was working at GE and going to Pensacola assembling wind turbine. And it really mattered, you know, the touch and feel, not just doing a climb assist on top of an operating wind turbine, but really seeing how it's assembled and put together. I will try to tug at you and talk about SCADA. You know, most people in finance don't really understand how SCADA is put together. But the SCADA for the integration of storage and solar is incredibly complex because now you have a bunch of inverters throttling on MPPT and you have a battery that is adding to that noise and all of this needs to, you know, fit the point of interconnection maximum rating. Uh, so when you build a project, you know, the reality is these days, it's like a year of work of SCADA integration to be able to place and service a project. And now you have remote monitoring center talking to um, a commercial energy manager talking to the grid. So all of this is to say that, you know, it is a complex industry. And one of the biggest danger of the financial industry is try to oversimplify uh, assets, try to oversimplify what is presented. Um, I always take pride in walking away from an investment uh, based on, you know, things that nobody sees, but, you know, down the line will be a massive problem. I remember, you know, for example, in Texas, looking at the perfect project and then, you know, on clause 17 of a PPA, it just said that, you know, the set point for power is zero. And in practical term from operations, what it means is that you bid always zero. And if the power price is negative, you don't dispatch. So it's hidden curtailment risk. Yeah. So it really comes down to being able to assemble a team and people who can read beyond, you know, the, the confidential information memorandum. And, and really, to the best of their ability, make, you know, more informed judgment calls around uh, the projected performance of an asset than simply rush into what seems to be standardized information when it's never standardized. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I want to I want to sort of pivot this to something else that I've seen in PPAs that that, frankly, I don't understand. It is I've seen a number of PPAs uh, in the last four or five years uh, where the utilities are wanting guaranteed power, you know, regardless of weather. And the owners are taking the weather risk. And when you're dealing with a, a product that produces power from sunlight, you know, weather risk is a real world day to day, you know, unmanageable reality. You know, you just the only thing you can do is make sure the plant's ready for it for when the sun shines. And it's it's less variable than the wind. But nonetheless, it's there's some there's variability. And so it it never I never understood. Why an owner would sign up for a PPA where they have risk against something that is absolutely unmanageable, you know, as a as a risk profile item. So 
you know, where is that coming from? Why are the utilities doing that? How are you guys looking at those projects? Are you just looking at, are you just handicapping them from a value perspective? Like, how are you looking at that? Because that to me is a, is a, is a real sticking point in the industry. I think your question is fascinating because it's at the heart of a revolution that is happening right now. And, and let me expand on this. Historically, you had a thermal industry that was basically guaranteeing dispatch. Then came along wind, which was very intermittent, knowingly intermittent, uh, and it was a take-or-pay take contracts. Then came solar, and people started looking at solar and saying, well, hold on a second. The profile of production is far more predictable than, than wind. So you have that temptation to start shaping uh, or guaranteeing irrespective um, of weather. And I genuinely believe that that's where the industry is going. Hmm. It's no longer um, basically take or pay contract, but it's offering shaping and firming for contracts. I worked on one of the first projects that's Townsite selling to, to three off takers. But what you need to do is have an energy manager, somebody that really understands the power market to basically sell excess uh, above a fixed volume and buy power on your behalf if you have a deficit. So and one of the most interesting aspects is if you talk to co-ops uh, that are buying power and it's a huge chunk of the market, they don't generally buy unit contingent PPAs. They buy blocks. So this is this is what they're used to. They buy blocks. So if the solar industry, the wind industry, the renewable energy industry at large doesn't start to talk about blocks as opposed to intermittency, you know, there's going to be a problem. Now, the beautiful thing is that storage is enabling, you know, much more firming and shaping uh, around uh, renewables. So now it's really becoming wind solar plus storage plus energy management equal a product that is much more quantifiable for the off-taker being a co-op, a muni, or utility. So for the rest of us, what's a block? A block is, you know, you're guaranteeing, for example, 2 p.m. January, 200 megawatts. And if your wind farm produces 210 megawatts, you will sell that extra 10 megawatt to the market to somebody else. If your wind farm produces 180 megawatts, you will have to supplement 20 megawatt at that particular hour from the market to still deliver 200. Yeah. So that brings up a point that was sort of mulling in my head as you were going through this. Inherently, what you're saying is, you know, you in order to have firm power, storage is a big help for solar, right? That helps out. But you, you have to be able to have some variability where you're pulling from the market at times, buying and selling and arbitraging, you know, and using your own power. That that also inherently to me means you're going to have to handicap the production on that site some percentage, which means you're going mm -hmm. to have PPA rates are going to have to come up. How does that happen in a competitive yeah. marketplace? Well, you you you're offering a different product and it's a better product for customers. Do, do the customers also, know that though? I mean, Oh, I mean, oh, they, oh no, they, they, they do. They absolutely do because otherwise 
what happens is if you sell unit contingent solar, it's your customer that has to do that work. Uh, they have to balance uh, the, the, the system. Sure. So somebody somebody has to do it. The question is, who wants to do it for what price? Which really leads me to, to another point and, and, you know, trying to offer you a, a, an opportunity here. I think that the renewable energy market is about having operators, asset managers that have scale, competency, and sophistication. The world of, you know, owners with just a few assets here and there trying to externalize all the services is not healthy and is likely to lead to problems. So I see an industry that is consolidating with very large owners and, you know, you have the next era of this world and EDPR, but you also have oranges, people who have large portfolios that are able to, through scale, offer better products and better services for, for customers. And, you know, this is not this change in, in offering this ability to combine solar and storage and, and offer these better uh, offtakes to customers. It's really going to be a tier one. It is a tier one uh, offering. Uh, and, and it's going to make it difficult for those that don't have the scale and the operations behind them. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I agree with you. You know, that's what we're building here. That's what a lot of my, you know, colleagues and, and competitors are, are doing the same. Uh, it requires that expertise and scale and it requires investments, right? Be made in advance because literally they're up there putting together PPAs and you're doing financing against products, which operationally no one has figured out how to actually do yet. <laughs> I mean, that's, you know, so you got to get out ahead of it, right? As an operator. And that's a difficult process, but the ones with their eyes open with enough scale, with enough backing, you know, are sort of moving, are moving that way to make sure that they're ready. And Orgis is no exception. But, but I will say that, that I often, I still engage in RFPs, competitive RFPs in the marketplace with owners. Many of them are financial entities because it's not just about financing. It's also about managing that asset over time. Mm -hmm. And I don't see the management of those assets over time really having, in most cases, a deep understanding of these dynamics. And so often they're looking at every, operator and every asset manager as equal when they are not. No. Nope. And, yeah, yeah. and, and I right. think the same dynamic whereas not only you're looking at it as equal, but your your main focus on the contract is driving it to a lower cost and understanding the differences in the scope that you get for that cost and how it affects the operation is not there. And that often comes as a surprise at a later date. And we Mike, fight it's, those it's, battles it's, all it, the time. So talk to me about that a yeah. little bit. It's penny wise pound foolish. You know, you 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 pay uh, you, you get what you pay for. Um, you know, this, we've been sensitive to this all day long. Um, you have to have large operations. You have to work with people who have capability. You know, when you project a project and you assume the lowest O&M, at some point, the person who inherits the model is going to look at it and say, I just can't deliver on this. So, it's pointless, you know, to have financial projections that are feel good factors, uh, but are not anchored in reality. Uh, so it's, it's really, you know, one of the differentiations where 
if you don't understand what you're underwriting, you're likely to take on the sell side at face value the very low cost projections that you're given. And from the return that you projected, you're going to bleed return over time uh, and you're going to be frustrated. So it's better to do the work up front and have a clear understanding of the type of risk and the type of outcome, but also do the proper budgeting. Another element that you touched on, because I, I, I sense that it's bugging you, is PPA price being too low uh, and that stress. So I try to be a student of history, and what I see is that for years and years and years, price have gone down. Yeah. And the reason why price went down is for two factors. One is cost went down. EPC became more efficient. Panel prices were lower. When I worked at First Solar in 2010, we were selling a single panel for three euros a watt in Germany. Um, and then the other aspect is that interest rates have gone down. So these were the two factors. What we're seeing today is, is a reversal of that trend. Interest rates are going up. EPC availability is, is a real problem. You have steel tariff, aluminum tariff, solar panel tariff, you know, border dispute uh, with the withhold release order, et cetera, et cetera. So people who sign or PPAs are these days looking at projects and saying, I need to go back to the off-taker and I need to get a price increase. Otherwise, I cannot build. And the fact that for the first time, we're seeing price going up uh, helps, you know, take away the muscle memory that it's a click effect. It always needs to be lower. Uh, and I'm hoping that the industry is learning from these headwinds in properly pricing uh, the commodity uh, that is being offered uh, and not be, you know, constantly trying to squeeze uh, everything. And by the way, it's not just for asset management. If you don't pay enough your supply chain from panel manufacturers to trackers to inverter suppliers, you will have people leaving the industry. If you take asset management, we have seen, and I'm sure you're not happy about it, a bunch of inverter manufacturers leave. Uh, and now you're left with technology where, you know, you might have a little bit of warranty services, but you wish these vendors were, were still there. So the overall industry needs to be healthier in making sure that everybody gets paid and the current headwinds are useful. Yeah, and I agree with everything you said, but, you know, what I've seen over the last 10 years in the industry from the finance side of things is is – you know, a constant squeeze and it's and it's been pushed down because of the PPA rates, you know, the competitiveness of the PPA rates are pushing and that puts pressure on everything else. And to your point, the supply chain side of the house, you know, and solar has come down like 80 percent in cost since 2010. But operations costs have not because the bottom line is they're 60, 70, 80 percent, depending on what side of it you talk about, you know, are based in human you know, interaction, which is CPI, which tracks CPI, right? And if you look at the consumer price index over the last 10 years, you're going to see an average rate of 1.75. And if you look over the last 20, 2.15, and most people would indicate that it's going to be going back up again. So inherently operations is escalatory at its very base. Yet 
I see over and over and over again this drive constant pressure to a lowest price without any sort of acknowledgement of of the increasing complexity of these sites. Um, and, and we're to the point now where we're happy to let a, a project go if it's going to lose money for one of our competitors rather than us. Right. Um, and that's not a good place to be in. But but that pressure from but I don't see the finance industry broadly sort of understanding these dynamics and incorporating them. And by definition, paying a better price to the developers so that they can also make better decisions, equipment, contracts and things on the front end, because they're being squeezed between the PPA and the financiers. Right. They're, that's their vice. So what's the way out? This has been the well, it's it's it's. It's you're addressing a, a, an issue that is has been a problem for our industry for a long time, which are consultants. And, and the reality, it's the competitive nature of transfer of assets. You have a seller who wants to give the rosier assumptions, and you have a buyer who would like to be conservative. But it's really and, – and a lot of that supply-demand curve meets thanks to third-party consultants that are opining on the – the reasonableness of assumptions. And so it's not just the O&M cost or property tax uh, or EPC costs. It's also, you know, energy production is estimates. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, the reality is that not all consultants are the same. Some of them, you know, will be very seller friendly and some will be less so. And the finance industry cannot rely on anybody to basically give um, what I would consider a more accurate picture of what's likely to come. So I do broaden your your frustration beyond O&M. It's every single assumption in a project. And I could rant for a long time on insurance cost where, you know, you will take a one-year insurance quote and you assume that it's true for 20 years. And then you have a hailstorm in Texas. And the reality is when you have a big loss, it gets socialized with every single project and then everybody has to pay. So there's a lot of work to be done in reality around how assumptions are put together uh, to property budget and probably calibrate a project. Got it. Mostly what I got out of that was you're blaming Texas. Texas is fault. <laughs> well, I think the hail in Texas is bigger than elsewhere. Yeah, but you know, the hurricanes in, in the southeast, you know, so it's, it's, uh, everybody's got their little problem sets, right? Um, look, I, I, you know, I think it's a tough problem, right? But there needs to be some correction. I think, you know, quality projects should demand a higher price. You know, uh, I don't know that I've seen that in the industry. I don't know that the finance industry captures that as well as they should. I'm not the expert in that area. You are, but, but I'm, I'm at a distance looking at it going, try, scratching my head often. Um, I also see to your point, you know, consultants, IEs in particular, you know, if they don't give the answers they're being paid to give, then they don't get the next job, right? So at some point in time, we have to decide to pay them to be honest. <laughs> You know, because they're they're being squeezed as well. Right. And so ultimately, I see most of the power coming from the people with the, the money, the checkbooks. Right. People like you. So so from your perspective, 
you know, hearing how to solve it, I think is is important, you know, and I hope that the rest of the industry hears what you're saying and and sort of dives at and drives at solving these problems because we need to solve them. Um, one final Michael, question. Just, oh, sorry, just, just one comment. I have a hope. You know, I have to be hopeful. And my hope is that off takers do provide some differentiation in pricing based on who's going to be the owner. So my frustration today is that they don't necessarily, they don't, I haven't seen, you know, any differentiation in pricing based on what's in the box. They're not going to ask you which inverter are you using, et cetera. But I have seen questions from in RFP saying, who's the long-term owner? And to some extent, you know, if you have a very large balance sheet, if you're very credible, and you can say, look, this is the product, and I stand behind it, and it means that the developer wins the RFP because it represents that you're going to be the long-term owner, I think that's where the solution comes from. It's really having off-taker caring about who's going to be the long-term owner, long-term owner, and then deciding, okay, I want to have a tier one owner, but it's your job as tier one, tier one owner to tell me that what's in the box is the right one. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And for any developers or folks with projects out there, uh, you know, KKR is certainly one of those owners. So reach out to the, reach out to Benoit and his team. Uh, we're actually past the end of our time and, and I, you know, I hate to cut it off because this is such a deep subject, but we could go on for days. But, you know, I just want to say, Benoit, thank you so much for your time and expertise. Uh, I look forward to the ongoing uh, relationship between Orgis and KKR and continuing to talk to you and help in solving these problems. But but most of all, I want to I want to say thank you for taking the time uh, to be a guest here on Power Players. So so thank you very much. Thank you, Mike, and uh, keep up the good work. We absolutely will. Benoit, expert, power player in solar, managing director at KKR. Merci beaucoup. Il n'y a pas de quoi. Avec plaisir. Find summary thoughts on this topic and more insights into operating your clean energy assets at OrigisServices.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of Power Players by Origis, critical thinking to deliver the clean energy promise.